Welcome to everybody watching this message by television in our local area here in New England or online around the world. We're so glad that you're joining us as well. Come on, everybody in the house, let's welcome them in. Let them know we're glad that they're here as well. So glad to have you. I read the chat from last service online, and once again, somebody online letting us know that they're coming to the church uh, next week, so they will be here. That's what that is. It's a doorway in to what happens here. And how many of you need to let them know that it's wonderful to watch on the screen, but there's nothing like being here. Come on, somebody. <laughs> nothing like being here. So glad to have you guys here. All right, take out your Bibles, if you will. I am so excited to start this series of messages. This is really on my heart to speak to you about peace because we are living in a time in which peace seems to be a rare commodity. Amen? Amen. And it's an ironic thing about the Christmas season because the Christmas season is where we remember Christ came and he came to bring us peace. And yet we have turned it through our American ways. We have transitioned this season from peaceful to stressful from relax and enjoy to run around and go crazy. And we are in that hustle, we're entering into that hustle and bustle period of the year. I don't understand it, but it's here among us. And I don't want to let the holiday hassle upend your peace in Christ. So that's what this series is about. So excited, and I want you to make a deal with me I want you to be here for the entire month of December. Don't let holiday shopping and routines take you out of meeting with us here in the building and gathering together as the body of Christ. So important that you're here. And we're going to talk about peace all month long and how to unpack it as God's people. So if you're prepared to come every weekend, say amen. amen. I don't have my glasses on, so I couldn't see who didn't say amen but we will watch you. <laughs> the title of my message is Peace Offering, and we're going to John chapter 14. So John chapter 14, Peace Offering. It is the season of peace. That famous phrase from Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Real quick stop. How many of you are glad that the government is not on someone in an office somewhere in Washington, D.C.'s shoulder, the government is on his shoulder. Amen. Amen. The, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he directs it wherever he wills. That's from the Proverbs. And so the government is on his shoulder, and his name, in the Bible, names mean character, shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Say the last three words, everybody. One, two, three. Prince of Peace. That's the seasonal statement that we make as Christians and even non-Christians. These are on, this phrase is on Hallmark cards. It's on Christmas wrapping paper. It's on signs and buildings that have nothing to do with the church. It's everywhere. But do we know what it means to know Jesus as the Prince of Peace? That's what this series is about. And so what I have found is that there is a lack of peace in our culture, and it's getting worse. It's kind of funny because our standard of living is getting so much better, and our peace is getting so much worse. And I think that we have a terrible, limited perspective on just how good we've got it. 
Even the poorest among us are still rich in America by comparison to the rest of the world. I think about modern amenities that we have available to us. Let's not even talk about the smartphone. Let's go further back. Let's go into the dark ages of technology and technological revolutions. How many of you are grateful for indoor plumbing? You know that there was a time in this country, like right where we are right now, where people actually, to go to the bathroom, had to walk outside their home and go into a little closet and go into a, you know, into a little hole in the ground. No flush, no air spray. I mean, that was the way that it was. I'm so glad that I don't have to go to the bathroom outside anymore. Now, I fully understand that there are some men that prefer to go to the bathroom outside still. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the civilized people among us, okay? How about electricity? That even when it's dark, we can still have light. How about, how about just the fact that we have cars that can bring us across the country in a week? I mean, to travel from Boston to Providence, they used to plan that trip for three months. And it would take them a month to do it. Today we do it in like 45 minutes. And yet we're so stressed. We're still, we're, we're, we're under the constant impression that life is terrible. No, get some historical perspective. It's never been this good for humanity on the face of the earth. The statistics don't lie. More education available to more people than ever before. More money and standard of livings available to more people than ever before. More rights, dignity, and freedoms available to more people than ever before in human history. And yet, we can't enjoy it because we're worried about losing it. This is not peace. Eight out of 10 Americans, according to a recent Gallup survey, eight out of 10 Americans confess to struggling with stress. And the most common mental illness, we are a mental illness culture. The most common mental illness is anxiety. 18% of Americans have been clinically diagnosed with anxiety and take pills or medication for it. And this is also part and parcel why um, our country right now is exploring the, the legalization of marijuana. Because we think, okay, this is an answer to our stress levels. Uh, people taking it for anxiety. I, and I'm not talking about the pills. I'm talking about the poof poof. Okay? The puff the magic dragon people. <laughs> the potheads. Okay, I'm talking to you. And I have read an article about how, yeah, it does eliminate stress momentarily. But the byproduct, the by, the, the byproduct of, of, take, of doing, uh, smoking marijuana actually in the long run actually exacerbates our stress levels over the long term. So temporary relief, but long-term worsening of the condition. That sounds like the recipe that Satan has been feeding Americans and people since the dawn of time. Amen. Oh, take the fruit. Come on, you'll feel better. <sighs> temporary enjoyment and lifelong discouragement. Be careful who you listen to. But there's so many other statistics. Uh, uh, evidently, the American Psychological Association, the APA, publishes every year a report called Stress in America. Evidently, stress is so common, they feel it's necessary to publish a report about it. <laughs> and they found out it's just increasing. Life expectancy is decreasing for the first time in the West in I don't know how many hundreds of years, lots, lots 
of that is because of suicide. And, and, and this is a tragedy that we are in the midst of. The opioid epidemic, the drug epidemic, all of these things contributing to a life that is surrounded, that, is, that, has, been, um, that has been infiltrated by anxiety, stress, fear, worry, and depression. I read about the fact that chronic depression, oh, I'm sorry, let me get back to the APA, uh, Stress in America report. 63% of our country stresses about the future of our country. <laughs> and every year we go through the, not every year, every other year we go through the election stress cycle. Like we just had an election a couple of weeks ago, and if you watched enough television, you were stressed out about the results. <laughs> and then we vote, and then nothing happens. And, and this is what I hate right now because they're already talking about 2020. Like, really? No, please. I don't want to go through this again because, listen, we're all going to get like, ah, 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 ah. What if they get elected? What if they get elected? Ah! And then we're going to vote and nothing's going to happen. Like, by and large, nothing's going to happen. Like, just chill out because we are not citizens. Even, even if nothing else happens, even if something does happen, Christians, listen, you are not a citizen first of this country. You are a citizen of heaven. Okay, our leader is on the throne, not of Washington, not even of the globe only. Our leader is on the throne of the universe. Woo! And he knows us by name, and he's got us in the palm of his hand, and no one can pluck us out. Oh, I'm preaching already, and I, I'm just trying to build the case for where I'm going. So let me back up. 63% of Americans are stressed about the future of America. 62% are stressed about money and work. 57 about the political climate, 51% are stressed about violence and crime. And then the problem is that I think we're over-informed. And that's what the report actually says. 95% of Americans want to know what's going on. F-O-M-O, FOMO. You've heard of this? Hashtag FOMO, hashtag. I'm down, I'm down with the hashtags. Fear of what? Missing out. Missing out, okay. I got to know what's going on. I got to know what's going on. I gotta, maybe, maybe you don't know, need to know what's going on. Maybe you could just let the news cycle do what it does. Vomit on a bunch of other people. And then wake up again the next morning and vomit on them. And you just turn it off and say, I'm so glad my Redeemer lives. Hallelujah. Amen. Right? I mean, think about this. And so uh, th we want to know what's going on. So 82% of Americans check the news every day. And 10% of Americans check the news every hour. You need help if that's you. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> Maybe you don't need to check your feed every moment of the day. And I wonder what your life would look like if you didn't. Um, well, it leads to more worry, more stress, because there's more things that we know that are happening. I found this out according to the Cleveland Clinic. Chronic depression and anxiety can have as negative an impact on the heart as eating too many cheeseburgers. Now, if I got a choice, friend, between stress and cheeseburgers, I'm going for cheeseburgers. Really, I mean, I'm no longer a vegan, so cheeseburgers in paradise. But I really feel bad for the stressed out people who have an addiction to cheeseburgers. It must be torture for them, right? So you know what I'm saying? This is the negative impact of stress and worry. And according to the New York Post, there's something called festive stress. Festive stress, of course, is holiday stress. The fear of not having the perfect holiday or the fear of being with people that we only get together with around the holidays. 
uh, or, or the fear and the worry and the consternation concerning getting the right gifts for people. 31% of Americans say the holiday season is completely frantic. And we should expect initial bursts of holiday-related stress popping up around December 13th. So there you go. Mark it down. December 13th. Right? More stress. And I found this out. Listening to, Chris, to Christmas music too early can lead to stress. Unhappy feelings. 25% of Americans say the most stress-inducing part of the holidays is listening to the music. That's because they're not writing good Christmas music anymore. They're singing about reindeers and snowmen and jingle bells. They're singing about stupid little trees and all that kind of stuff. We need to sing about Jesus. That's why the season's here. Well, I wish I had a better amen than that. But nonetheless, maybe you got to switch from Mariah Carey, all I want for Christmas is you, and to something about Jesus. I don't know. Have you, have you heard of the stress sandwich, though? Because on top of all the other things that you worry about in the world, there's also your personal stresses, your personal finances, your personal relationships, your personal employment issues, or your decisions that you're going to have to make in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, maybe today, maybe tomorrow. It's finals season for our college students and high school students, and it's all that kind of stuff that's happening right now. Stress, so it's personal news feed and it can stress you out. I want to talk to you about the stress sandwich because this is what the devil's been feeding you and me for as long as he's known us. The, the stress sandwich has three ingredients. The first ingredient of the stress sandwich is our past. This is our past. It's represented by a loaf of bread. All the things that we did in the past or happened to us in the past. Oh, don't you remember what you did? Don't you remember your bad habit? Oh, I know, yes. And the devil comes and he, and he offers it up to us almost daily. You're no good. Look what you do. Oh, I saw you. You know, Santa's a lot like Satan. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So don't be, don't be bad for goodness sake, like, right? Like, the devil comes and he just accuses you of all the things that you did in the past. And then the middle of the sandwich is you, your ham, and he lays you on top. And then the other half of the sandwich is not your past, but your future. What if, what if the economy crashes? What if my business is outmoded? What if I didn't get the right education? What if I get married and then instantly regret it? What if this happens to my child? What if this happens to my family? What if, what if, what if? And so it's bad enough that we have to worry about what happened in the past that we can do nothing about, but now we also have to worry about what's going to happen in the future, which we also could do nothing about or very little about. And so he just stacks it on top and this is what he does, because he doesn't just leave us there, he presses on us. It's gonna go bad for you. Oh yeah, because you know why it's gonna go bad for you? Because you're a bad person, and you've always been a bad person, and, and you don't deserve anything good to happen to you, yet that's your problem. And he just kind of pushes on you, and presses on you, and adds to the pressure every single day of your life. And this is what you're left with. The stress sandwich. Are you eating the stress sandwich? Because if not, you need, if you are, you need to change diets. Amen, somebody? Amen. Can I tell you that God has a better gift for you this year? 
He's got a better gift for you in Christmas. He wants to give you, thank you so much, Sarah, the gift of his peace. And this is what it looks like. And it's beautiful. And its name is Jesus. He is our peace. He is our peace. And he is the Father's gift to you. But here's what happens. Most people that go to church, or not most, maybe many, I hope not in this crowd, many, but some, we have this Hallmark card, sentimentalized version of believing in Jesus. And it needs to stop. Here's what I mean. We receive the gift of Jesus and we never open it. We never unpack what's in there. Because just knowing about Jesus is not actually what God wants for you. You can know facts about Jesus and actually not even be a Christian. And this is not what help, this is not what helps. And I see a lot of Christians, a lot of people in church, this is how they, this is how they do Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And they just walk around with their gift. Of, Thank you, Lord, for the gift. Thank you. Aren't you going to pack it? Nah. I'm going to heaven. At least I know I'm going to heaven. I know my life sucks right now, but at least I'm going to heaven someday. Like, what, what, what if you open the package and look what's inside? Because if I give you a gift and you walk around in January like this with the gift that I give you, I'm thinking you're a little bit loopy. Like, imagine this is you on, G on January 14th. You see what my wife got me? It's the gift she gave me. What's in it? I don't know. But she gave it to me. My wife exists because she gave me this gift. Like, that's how people are. God exists because he gave me Jesus. But what's, what does it mean? And this is what we're going to do in the series. This is why I'm passionate that you come every week. Because here's what the series is. I want you to get this image in your head. This is the series we're doing for Prince of Peace. We know who Jesus is. We've heard of Jesus. Even some of you, many of you, you've placed your faith in Jesus, but you've never done the, the work to unpack and open up all the treasures that you've got in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Open up. Take a look. Because there's stuff in here. I'm telling you, there's so much stuff in here that God wants to give you. He doesn't want his people stressed. Look, if you're not in Christ, I get it. And you have, you have my permission to be as stressed out as you want to be. But if you're in Christ, no. We're going to open the gift that God came to give. And we're going to unpack the truth of what Jesus is. And we're going to live in his peace. Amen. Amen. John chapter 14. Let's get there. Oh, thank you. John chapter 14. I was wondering if you were coming for an autograph. <laughs> After service. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Would you stand with me as we read from God's word? Now, I want to give you some context about this text before we read it. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. It's the Last Supper. Judas has just left the supper to go get a... Uh, detachment of soldiers to come with swords, clubs, and chains to arrest Jesus and bring him to trial. So, so this is like the last few moments Jesus has with his disciples. Okay, look, look what it says. Uh, let's just back up for one verse to, uh, up to the top verse in chapter 14. What does Jesus say? Here's what it says. Let not your hearts be troubled. 
The soldiers are coming. The chains are rattling. The clubs and the spears are ready. And they are just moments away from seeing Jesus die. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. We'll cover the rest of the chapter during the message. Let's skip down to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Somebody say my peace. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let that phrase just hover for a moment. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let them not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away. And I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you, soldiers' feet, so that when it takes place, you may believe. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that the people who hear these words will have their hearts open to receive what Jesus has come to give. Help us to see Jesus and him only. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Have a seat. Genesis chapter 3 is where it all went wrong for us. This is the root of our lack of peace. Genesis 3, the serpent comes and tempts Eve and she listens to the words of Satan and she eats the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she gives it to her husband, and he eats with her. And then verse 8, picking up the story, when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The Lord God was in the garden. Why? Because that's what he wanted for you and for me. He wanted to live in perfect harmony with us for eternity. And so he shows up, and he knows what's going on. He knows what's up. The man and his wife hid themselves from what? From the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Who seeks who? The Lord seeks the lost. You don't seek for God. He seeks for you. Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was, say the word, afraid. How sad. Afraid of God. Because I was naked and I hid myself. Write this down if you're taking notes. Every fear is rooted in our disconnection from God. Now what I am telling you is biblically based and accurate. Every fear that humans experience is rooted in Genesis 3. You will not hear this from Psychology 101 at your local college. You will hear about childhood issues, abandonment in your past, 
and something else tragic that you experience that causes you to have certain phobias and fears. They are disconnected from the truth. The Bible takes us all the way back. Before your parents did what they did to you, your sister did what she did to you, your grandparents did what they did to your parents, and their, your great-grandparents did what they did to your, great, your grandparents, and on, all the way back. The reason why all that stuff is there is because way back in Genesis 3, mankind listened to Satan rather than God, trusted in Satan rather than God, and sin came in and disconnected them from that perfect harmony that they had with God. And so when they heard God come into the garden, they jumped in the bushes because they were afraid for the first time in their lives, and they were afraid of God. And this is the problem of the human condition. And we wrestle with still to this day. Oh, it manifests itself in a bunch of different ways. But at the root of the issue is that we know we are untethered from the creator who made us. We are fish out of water. We are cactuses in a rainforest. We are not in the right environment that we were created to be in, which is the environment where God and, I, and we live together in perfect relational harmony. And when you're untethered from your creator, you have every reason to fear. Something must be done. Something has been done. God came after us in Jesus. He came after us to take care of the sin problem that was and is against us. This is what Jesus came to do. And so when he comes to the Last Supper with the disciples and he's sitting down and he's letting them know, he's, he's told them this before. He's already told them this. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be crucified. But on three days later, I'm going to rise again. And he told them this constantly while he was with them for three years. And they never got it. Even Peter said at one point, no, 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 no. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Yes, it's going to happen. You don't understand what I'm going to do, but you will understand it later. And before he's going to the cross, he wants to let them know what's about to happen through the cross to restore what Adam lost in the garden. Are you with me? Amen. So he tells them about peace. And the first thing he tells us, number one, if you're taking notes, is this. Our peace is not found in the world's offerings. Our peace is not found in the world's offerings. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Do you know, Christian? Do you know, person? Do you know that the world has peace offerings? Oh, they're everywhere. A 401k, a retirement plan, a pension, a bigger house, a better neighborhood with nicer people, a cul-de-sac, <laughs> seatbelts, airbags, Traction control, four-wheel drive, better schools, better health care, more insurance, alarm systems, police departments, firemen, nurses and doctors, security, 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 security. We need security. Why? Because we're untethered. We're untethered. And so we look to a thousand different answers for security. And the untethered nature of our heart that portrays the reality that there's something that has to come from somewhere else other than this world to give us the peace we need in this world. Amen. What are you looking for for peace? Marriage, 
Relationship, sex. What are you looking for for me? Drugs, enjoyment, pleasures. What are you looking for? Where's the offerings that you're, what are the wells that you're going to for the offerings of peace? I wonder who here, you're young and you think, oh man, everybody's overlooking me and nobody cares about me and you're a sitting duck for the wrong kind of relationship to come in and take you right out of the kingdom of God. Be careful what you open your heart up to. Three problems with the world's peace. I call it the ABCs of the world's peace. A, the world's peace is external. It comes from out there, not in here. So I need these things. I need the security system. I need my kids in Christian school. Why? Well, because I don't want those public schools to get a hold of them. Fear. Oh, I know. Maybe Christian school is not good enough for you, so you homeschool. That way you can keep your eyes on them all the time. Oh, I don't understand you people, but you do it. Good for you. Nothing against you. But are you doing it because you're afraid? Oh, I've got to make sure that my kids are safe all the time. This is what we do. We've coddled them. We've coddled them. This is why they've got to go to college now and get coddled by their professors. Instead of being challenged, they get coddled and agreed with. And then they come out of college and they have no use to anybody because why? They've been told they're wonderful for 18, 25 years. And nobody's ever challenged them to actually step up and do something. I'm getting off topic, but let me get back to it. <laughs> External peace. The things that you acquire and the things that you get and the people that you can have in your life will bring you peace. No, let it be. The world's peace is conditional because as soon as you got it, you got to keep it. As soon as you get that 401k, watch out because that recession might come and turn your 401k into a 101k or just a K. <laughs> I used to have $100,000. Now I got $1,000. Yeah, that's what could happen. It happened in 2008. It could happen again. It's conditional. It's conditional. Oh, they love me. They love me. They love me. They love you today. What about tomorrow? Conditional. Because it's external. There's the amazing thing about the human condition in America, because here's what we do in America. We spend the first 50 years of our lives sacrificing our health to get wealth. And then we spend the remaining years of our lives sacrificing our wealth to get back our health. Conditional. Peace. It's what the Proverbs says in Proverbs 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow because you do not know what one day may bring. How many know it's one phone call? One phone call can upend all the peace that you currently have. One knock on the door. One bad email. Conditional. Letter C, the world's peace is temporal. It doesn't last. When you're young, you think you got all the days of your life ahead of you. Who says? And then you get to a point in your life when you're young. This is, this is what happens. When you're young, you think, man, everybody overlooks me. Hmm. And then you get to that point where nobody overlooks it. No, nobody overlooked. Now they take you serious. But then it's just a little while after that. You get old, and now guess what happens again? Everybody's like, who's that? <laughs> overlooked again. Temporal. Temporal. Like a mist we are. Like a mist. Like a breath. That's the peace offerings of the world. How about our money? Cast but a glance at riches, Proverbs says. Cast but a glance at riches and they are God for they will soon sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. People say money talks. It doesn't talk. I have found that it just gets up and quietly walks away. 
I hope I'm not depressing you. I'm just trying to tell you that the things that you can look for in this world can only offer you temporal, conditional, external peace. And I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say, I'm giving you that kind of peace. He said, no, not as the world gives. I've got a peace that's better than that. I've got a peace that's not conditional. I've got a peace that's not temporal. I've got a peace that's not external. I've got a peace that'll live inside of you. So that no matter what does happen outside around you or to you, you can have peace. And so number two, our peace, not found in the world's offerings, our peace is found in Jesus' offerings. Notice where the apostrophe is over Jesus' name. Notice where the apostrophe is because I don't want you to confuse what I'm saying here. Very important that you get it. Very important that you get it. It's the subtext for the rest of the message. Jesus' offering. Not Jesus' offering of peace. Jesus' offering. My peace I leave with you. My peace, underline my peace. His peace. Do you know that Jesus had a peace that we don't have outside of him? What was that peace that Jesus had? When he comes out of the water at his baptism, the heavens are open, the dove descends upon him, the spirit rests upon him, and the scriptures teach us that there's a voice from heaven, and the voice of heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And because Jesus enjoyed the peace that he had with the Father, he could go through whatever unpeaceful circumstances he experienced on earth with peace. There's going to be a moment in the gospel stories where the disciples are going through a storm on the sea, and Jesus is in the boat with them, and they're, and they're rowing against the winds and the waves, and they're trying desperately to get this boat under control. And where's Jesus in the boat? Where is he? He's asleep on a cushion. He's, they're like, oh, 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 Jesus, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? And he's over there going. <laughs> Think about that. Peace in the midst of the storm. He could sleep through it. Why? Because he knew there was nothing that was going to happen around him that his father wasn't totally in control of. Amen. Peace, my peace. This is why when the critics came after Jesus, he could stand and say to them the truth. He could confront those who needed to be confronted in his life. He could say the unpopular thing. He could do the unliked thing. Oh, we're trained in this culture, aren't we, to do things so that people like us. We even do it and post it on our internet page, on our internet feed, hoping for what? Like me. What's unfortunately happening is we're becoming a culture of all about finding that temporal enjoyment of somebody else's temporal enjoyment of us. It's a drug that we just need more of. What if we had an unchangeable, eternal, secure, heavenly, not like, <laughs> but love from the Father who made us, so that no matter who hates us and who disregards us and who rejects us, we know our Father has put a banner over us and it says, I love them with an everlasting love and no one can ever pluck them from my hand and no one can separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he wants for you. The peace that Jesus enjoyed, he wants you to enjoy too, but you can't enjoy it until you realize how to get it, how Jesus made it possible for you. So he says, not as the world gives do I give to you. Verse 28, look at this, very important. You heard me say to you, I am going away. 
and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. How many know sometimes Jesus is so confusing? Because these guys left their jobs and their families to follow him. They said about him, you've got the eternal words of life. There's nobody like you. We think you're amazing. We'll give up everything to follow you. There's nothing like being around you, Jesus. You're amazing. You raise the dead. You heal the sick. You cast out demons. You cleanse the lepers. Amazing. And now you're telling us that you're leaving. And then you have the audacity to say, we should be glad about it. Are you crazy? Earlier in chapter, in, in verse 19, he says this, yet a little while. The world will see me no more, but you will see me. I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. And you can almost feel the disciples saying, stop saying you're leaving. It's not exactly helping. What does he mean? A little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Most Christians make a mistake with this text right here in verse 19 and for the entire chapter. What does Jesus mean by I'm leaving and I'm coming again? Is he talking about the second coming that we're still waiting for 2,000 years later? No, 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 He's not talking about that at all. And he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. Hold on, just stay with me for a moment. Notice that he says, in a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. We know he's not talking about the second coming because at the second coming, the Bible says in several different places that when he comes at his second coming, every eye will see him, the whole world. So he's not talking about that coming, is he? You guys, you 12, you're going to see me again. You 11, Judas is gone. You're going to see me again. Let me tell you what this means. Well, let me tell you what he's talking about here in chapter 14. Re fast forward to resurrection. Jesus is arrested. The, 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 the soldiers come. Arrest him. Chains clanging. Clubs swinging. They drag him off to Pilate. Pilate can't find fault. Doesn't matter. They demand that he's crucified. He's crucified. He's laid in a tomb. The disciples watch all this happen and all their dreams crushed. Three days later, resurrection morning. They don't see him for three days. Resurrection morning comes around. Mary, not expecting a resurrection, shows up at the tomb to bring some embalming spices. Mary Magdalene, not his mother Mary. And she comes to the tomb in the garden and she sees a guy and she says, and she sees that the tomb's open and there's no body. And she says to the guy who she thinks is the gardener, tell me where you've laid him so that I may go to him. And he turns to her and he says, Mary. And she realizes it's Jesus. And she goes, as any of us would have in that moment, she goes to hug. She goes to touch him. She goes to embrace him. Oh, this is, you're back. I can't believe you're back. You're alive from the dead. And what does Jesus do? John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. This is resurrection morning. Still dark. Resurrection morning. Do not cling to me. Don't touch me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Fast forward a few hours, because he tells Mary, he tells Mary in the morning, he says, listen, go and tell my disciples that I will meet them again in Galilee. In fact, go tell them to get there now. She goes off. Later on the same day, we don't see it because it's actually in a different account. It's in Luke's account now. The disciples are behind closed doors. Do you know why they're behind closed doors? Fear. Locked behind closed doors. They killed Jesus. What are they going to do to us? 
Jesus instantly appears resurrection evening in front of them. They say, he's a ghost. He says, I'm not a ghost. And look what he says in Luke chapter 24, verse 39. See my hands and my feet. It's me. Next two words. Touch me. Whoa, 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 whoa. What happened between resurrection morning, don't touch me, and resurrection evening, touch me? Because Jesus had a very busy afternoon. He ascended to the Father with the blood sacrifice that he had offered up three days earlier. And he laid before the Father's throne on the altar in heaven the final, perfect, spotless blood sacrifice for the sins of the world. And the Father looked upon the perfect, spotless, sinless sacrifice of Jesus' blood and said, accepted. And because of that moment, every human on the face of the earth who puts their faith in Jesus can have acceptance before their Father in heaven. And what Adam and Eve lost, we get back through the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That, so he says to Mary, don't touch me because I can't have this offering spoiled. I can't. It's got to be a perfect holy offering. This is why in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, it says, for by one offering, that one offering. Remember I told you to put the apostrophe after Jesus' word, Jesus' name. His offering. He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. I don't get it, pastor. Are we perfect now or being made holy? Both. There's a lot of both ands in the Bible. There's a lot of both ands in Christian faith. For example, is God one or three? Both. Is Jesus God or man? Both. Are you perfect or improving? <laughs> Both. You are forever justified before the Father, and you are forever being conformed into the image of his Son. See, what it means is Jesus already, God, the Father knows what you're supposed to look like, and he's busy working on getting you there. Amen. Mm. So now we can back up in John 14 and see the rest of the benefits because he says in verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I'm with you. Don't forget what he said. Number three, Jesus offering offers the Father's acceptance to us. This is why he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house or many rooms. In verse 3, he says, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am there, you may be also. What is he talking about? For years, the Christian church has sung, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a space, a place in the presence of our Father that is prepared for us through the blood of Jesus. Okay? This is why Hebrews chapter 10, back to Hebrews 10, says in verse 19, we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. The season of Christmas is God with us, Emmanuel. But God is not with everybody. He's with those who come to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you might be skeptics and you might say, I don't like that idea of blood sacrifices. I don't like that idea of human sacrifice. This is why I have a problem with Christianity. Do you not understand that in every ancient culture in human history, there have been blood sacrifices to appease the God or the gods? Why have we always done that? In our ignorance of the truth of Jesus, because we know something must be done to appease the Holy One. 
And every other religion lays that burden on you to provide something to appease the gods. And Christianity stands apart by saying, you can't offer something to appease the gods. So God himself came down and offered it for you in the person of his son, Jesus. Amen. Beautiful. This is how you have the, this is how you live as Jesus lived in his peace. When Jesus would be approached by people who hated him in John chapter five, verse 41, he says, your approval means nothing to me. Wouldn't you just love to say that to some people? I know you're supposed to be nice to everybody as a Christian. You're supposed to love everybody, but you don't need everybody's approval. Amen. Wouldn't you love to say that to somebody who's just bugging the life out of you, that you're, you're, you're compromising your values, you're making stupid decisions because you need their approval? Wouldn't you love to have that peace that you know you're accepted by the Father so it doesn't matter if they reject you and you can turn to them and really say it? I don't care if you like me or not. I know I'm loved by my Father in heaven the way Jesus was perfectly loved by the Father in heaven. Number four, Jesus' offering offers us the Father's love. Because Jesus says in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. The word keep means to treasure. If you keep my word, if you treasure my word, my Father will love you. See, when you get, when you, when you get born again, this book comes alive. Amen? How many of you can say that? Like, before you were a Christian, you didn't give two cents about what was in this book. But the moment you bowed the knee to Jesus, suddenly this thing became life and bread. You couldn't get enough of it. That's what it means to treasure the word of God. And the Father's love comes into you. Number five and finally, Jesus' offering offers the informing and affirming work of the Holy Spirit in us. See, the Holy Spirit can't live in someone where there's sin and shame. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? You receive Jesus' blood sacrifice for you. You receive the blood of Jesus for the, atoning work of your, for the atoning work over your sins. Your sins are washed away. And now God, the Holy Spirit, can take up residence in your body. And here's what he does. He affirms and he informs. What does Jesus call him? The helper. He affirms you. He helps you. What? He helps you know who you are in Christ. He comes in here. And he bears witness, Romans 8, 16 says, he bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. He comes in and he affirms and he affirms and he reminds us of what Jesus said and he teaches us about the word of God. And the Bible is completely blank to us until we receive the Holy Spirit in us and then he guides us into all truth and the truth sets us free and empowers us Amen. to not let our hearts be troubled. 